What up all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there. Thank you for joining me for episode 258 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Brian Welch, author of I'll Sit This Right Here. Brian is an expat living in Kuwait, doing government contract work, and travels the world. He came on the show today to talk about his book, which is all about the highs and lows of life, love, relationships, and the experiences that have transformed him into the man he is today. I really like this episode because... Although maybe some of you have heard these types of concepts before, the way in which he said them really struck home for me. The context in which we talked about it, the way in which he highlighted certain things and the words he used to describe them, his feelings and how he moved through these difficult times in his life really opened a few doors for me. So that's what I really liked about this episode because Brian is a very switched on dude who's willing to do the work, challenges himself and stays open to change, which in many ways I think allows all of us to grow and mature and break some of those cycles that we might continually have play out over and over again in our life, whether it's always finding yourself with the same partner or always getting the same job that you dislike, whatever it may be. Brian's book does a good job of highlighting those things within his own life and then talking about how he moved through them. So I have no doubt you'll get a lot from this episode with Brian Welch. If you're a first-time listener, please hit that subscribe button. If you enjoy this episode and think that it was valuable, Brian and I would be honored if you would share it with somebody you think would get something out of it. That is the best way for me to grow Misfits and Rejects audience is just with the audience members sharing these types of episodes. And if you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that in one of two ways. You can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick up a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt, or you can head over to patreon.com backslash misfitsandrejects and give a monthly donation. It's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. I have patrons giving $1 a month that they have been doing that for years. Some give $5 a month. Some give $25 a month. And it is awesome. It does really help just with the cost of producing Misfits and Rejects, hosting it on Squarespace, the editing process. All this stuff does take money and time, and these donations do really help. So thank you to all my patrons out there who have been donating for the last few years. So with that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Brian Welch, author of I'll Sit This Right Here. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. Right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I am joined by Brian Welch, author of I'll Sit This Right Here. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Yeah, it's nice to see you, man. You are in Kuwait. That is correct. That's correct. I'm in Kuwait where it's hot most of the time. Yeah, dude, I can imagine. So I interviewed, I think, in like the first 10 episodes, a good friend of mine, Bryce Klukok, who um, was a contractor in Kuwait as well and talked in depth about what he could, you know, based on what he was doing over there. And I was excited to get you on the show to hear hear more about, you know, your lifestyle and what you do for a living and then what kind of led you to reach out and write write this book as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 interested to talk about that. Um I guess for the first part of it what I do for a living is I guess I'll say what pays me is being a government contractor. What I do for a living honestly I would say is trying to make the best out of life in any situation I really have. Uh this particular type of work that I'm into now I started doing when I was about 21 years old. Um freshly out of college, didn't really have any on-the-job experience, so I didn't fit into those categories of applying for these companies that were like, oh, you know, yes, it's an entry-level position, but you have to have one to two years experience, which in college you get the education, but not the experience, you know, experience sold separately, I would say. Um, But that's how I ended up getting into this type of work. And honestly, working as a contractor, getting to work with military personnel and other contractor personnel. It's probably been one of the greatest experiences I've ever had work-wise because it has exposed me to so many different types of people, so many people from, uh, it's just been a very diverse population of people, people from all over the world, really. 
So you get to meet some of everybody in this line of work. And I'm really grateful for that. So I have to ask because the audience is obviously curious. And if you can't talk about it, that's okay. Can you get more specific with what that means as a government contractor? Because I know it's, it's vast and you could be doing a lot of different things. Um, it, it is a vast thing. I would say, um, for what I can talk about, the majority of what I do is logistics based. Um, so if anybody's familiar with, uh, logistics, that's anything that's like, uh, movement, sea, air, ground, anything like that. Um, or logistics is just a really, really big umbrella, but basically, um, helping and supporting the military accomplish their mission on a daily basis. That's, that's it in a nutshell for me. I do my part to make sure that everything that they need, uh, they are able to get uh, to continue you know, the good fight. I see. I see. And you've been based in Kuwait for how long? Honestly, I've been in Kuwait now for mm, about a year and four months. Uh, prior to Kuwait, I was in Iraq for a little while. And then before Iraq, I was in Afghanistan for about almost 10 years on and off. So I've been doing this type of work for quite a while. I guess I found something I like and I stuck to it. <laughs> you know, that's really interesting to hear because you don't meet a lot of people who talk highly of this type of work, um, whether they're in the military directly or they're a contractor like yourself. Most get burnt out by the bureaucracy or just whatever the thing it is that really burns them out. And so what is it about it that you like so much? So I would say that uh, for those people, I would say it's not necessarily easy, but it does put you in a better position to live a more fulfilled life. So if you're a person that loves to travel and have different life experiences and get exposed to uh, different things outside of the norm, it helps you in that matter. Uh, if you're a person who has a family, and, you know, looking at the current state of the economy and how prices are shifting on everything, uh, you know, from getting kids in school, you know, anything that you need to take care of households. Why? Things are just expensive. Something like this helps and it helps you to get ahead. Um, but you have to want to get ahead as far as things go. And I look at it as the experience is what you make it. Some people come in, they may do a year, they may do six months and they might say, hey, you know, this is not for me or I don't like to be away from my family for this long. Uh, some people come in, I've met some people who've been doing this type of work for 30 years, you know, uh, and, and they're quite comfortable with it and they're satisfied in what they're doing um, because it has allowed them to have a better life. Um, I think something like this really puts you in a position to understand that you struggle with what you choose to struggle with. So if you want something better than the norm, you have to be willing to do something different. You have to be willing to take some type of risk. You have to be willing, uh, like, you know what, this is going to seem crazy I don't know if I can use that word, but this is going to seem crazy to everybody else. But for me, it makes the most sense so I can live the most fulfilled type of life and have the best type of life experiences. Yeah, I like what you just said. You choose to struggle, you know, and based on the desired outcome, it sounds like you are willing to struggle through what you're doing to get what you want, which sounds like from you know, the brief conversation we had pre-show is you love to travel. You love meeting new people. Um, I'm assuming that you probably have a nice nest egg squirreled away somewhere for the safety and security of retirement or something like that. Um, tell us a little bit more about you, you know, like where you come from and, and just, yeah, we'd like to learn more about you. So I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, born and bred. Uh, no matter where I go in the world, uh, whatever country I visit, whatever place I'm working, New Orleans is always going to be home. That's in my blood. That's never going to change. Um, and I do feel like being a kid from New Orleans, growing up in New Orleans, seeing the different things in the city. And New Orleans offers such a diverse culture of people. I think that kind of prepared me to step into the contracting element of the world. And I was able to, um, I guess, withstand what what would be hardships for other people because I'm a kid from New Orleans. So I've seen <laughs> different things throughout life. So I, I definitely feel like that prepared me to be like, you know what? 
this isn't all that bad. I, I can make the most of, of, of this situation where I am right now. Yeah, that's interesting, that contrast, because like I saw in one of your, I think, YouTube videos or your Facebook videos, you know, you said you sat in a lot of darkness to see the light. And I've had that come a lot, come up a lot for me as well. Not that I've sat in a ton of darkness, but I do feel like you do need to have experience on one side of that coin to really appreciate the other side. Can you take us through a little bit about, you know, those places that you found yourself in that has helped you become the man you are today? So I think I'm, I would say I'm still becoming uh, because I feel like you're in a constant state of evolution. If you reach a point where you you're no longer able to evolve, then, you know, what are you doing here? What what purpose are you really serving? I've been through some situations, some of which I've written about in my book, uh, life, love, relationship, um, growing up as a kid, you know, suffering with. Uh, self-esteem issues and stuff and not really fitting into anyone's particular box, kind of like marching to the beat of my own drum. Um, and the situations of being heartbroken, you know, because heartbreak is a really, th- is, uh, is a real thing. Um, and that sometimes puts you in a very dark place. And, you know, if you sit alone in darkness long enough i mean if you 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 really digest that darkness you'll realize the way out of the darkness is the light and you are the light in that particular element um so you have to decide that you want to make some type of change you want something different you want something better for yourself now that i've i've said here in this darkness where i might have taken certain things for granted before or I wasn't as appreciative of things before I've sat here in this darkness and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? (laughs) It wasn't all that bad. You know, I can put myself in a different place now to where I can appreciate things and I can look at things differently and I can take another perspective into consideration without being, which I feel like some, I feel like all people are at some point in life. We're so stubborn to where we think that, it's our way. Our way is the only way until we're exposed to something new. And then it makes us um, question our way of thinking and kind of reevaluate some things. Can you give us a concrete example of this? Because I think this is something a lot of people feel or struggle with. But then the actionable steps that one takes to either see the light or feel the light that draws them out of that darkness is where I think people get lost and they can't really comprehend um, or just it's it just it's too vague. Okay, so I'll take love, for example. I feel like love is a universal thing. It's a universal language. That can be love for self, love from a partner, love from family. Um, If you feel like, you know, that you have not received the type of love that you think you deserve, or you feel like you weren't loved properly by family, partner, whomever, it puts you into a dark space, you know? It, may, it, it will mess with your self-esteem and it can trigger you in ways. And it makes you wonder, you know, that am I good enough? You know, why don't you love me? Or why can't you love me? Um, and I think one of those things, one of the ways out of that is realizing in a lot of those situations, it's not even about you. Maybe these folks, these people, partners, family, friends, they don't have the capacity to love you the way that you need to be loved. Or maybe they have not learned how to fully love themselves yet, so they don't really know how to love anybody else. Or maybe they are mirroring what they learned as kids as an idea of love. I.e., if I grew up in a household where there was constant arguing and bickering, I'm going to translate mute that, I guess you can say, into my actual life. And I think that's the equivalent of love. And that's not love at all. So I think that's one of those things. Yeah, I think that's one of those things where it's kind of like you really, really have to open your mind to be able to take a step back and look at the situation. And I've read um I read a I read a book. I don't know if it was the four agreements or maybe I can't remember which book it was, but it was saying, you know, take nothing personal. 
take nothing personal was one of the one of the big quotes from that book. And I really, really sat with that and I digested it. And it makes you approach situations differently. Right. So let's say someone met you and they greeted you with anger. Right. I, you don't know them. They're upset with you. They're angry. They have an attitude, whatever the situation is. Now, you can meet them where they are. You can give them attitude back. You know, you can go blow for blow, toe for toe with them, you know. Or you could take a step back in the situation like, you know what? <laughs> You're upset or angry and that has absolutely nothing to do with me. That is your personal stuff. Don't put that on me. That's yours. And sometimes when we digest that or we or we or we kind of like, oh, you know, it'll make you think that you've done something wrong. You put that weight onto yourself and you don't need to carry that. Yeah. So, for example, say, you know, every night growing up, you you say, I love you, mom. And she looks at you and doesn't ever say it back. And you grow up thinking that you're unloved by your mother until <clears throat> until maybe one day you sit with that pain and ask yourself, well, maybe why isn't she saying that? Did her mother ever say that she loved her? And like you pointed out, maybe this is a mirror of how she was raised. And then the part that I think is hard for everyone to digest, including myself, is the emotional triggers that come up in new relationships where the second you sense this person might not love you, you have this like automatic response system that continuously plays out that takes you back to that moment as a child. And the trying to disconnect that, I think, is where a lot of people sit and struggle because logically what you say makes complete sense. And it's making that logical connection to the emotional side to then start to depower that reactionary sense within yourself that you start to see progress and the light that you described. So that's why I kind of asked, asked about the action steps that you've taken and you've seen helpful to yourself because for a lot of listeners out there, this is powerful stuff, but until you really feel it and internalize it and see a relief from it, when you're sitting with someone you love who doesn't show it back in the way you expected, you're sitting here going like, yeah, but it's not working for me. Like I still feel like shit when the person I'm showering with love is cold when I snuggle with him at night or something like that, you know? Right. Um, I would say this, and I'm not a, I don't proclaim myself to be this extremely religious person at, at all, but I'm just aware of things. So something that really, really, I got into heavy, um, I want to say around the time I got my heart broken, I really got into doing meditation and understanding meditation and chakras and stuff like that, because I didn't know anything about any of that stuff, but I was searching for something to get me out of where I was. So reading books, um, journaling and meditation and meditation. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, I can't do I don't know how to meditate. I can't do there is no prescribed way to do it. You know, the first thing is you, you have to sit with yourself. You have to have a willingness and an open mind to do it. So I tell people this um, prayers are when you uh, speak to God or the divine or you, you know, you request you ask the things. Meditation is when you listen. That's when you listen for the universe to come in and speak to you and to offer you guidance on things. And if you really, really pay attention to like everything that goes on in your day-to-day -day life, there are little signs and nuances in everything, you know, and to kind of like guide you to where you need to be. But what I've learned is um, a person will have on, or I, I can, I'll say me, for example, I used to have on my blinders. So I couldn't see that because I was so enveloped in, oh, I was hurt, you know, oh, I experienced this pain. Oh, I have this issue. Or I was so enveloped in that that I could not really see all of the good that was going on around me. I could not see um, the good in people right away. I couldn't really see the good in myself then. You know, I, I, I questioned certain things and certain elements of myself back then. So now I, I feel like I'm in a really, really good place. And all of that comes with 
healing. And to kind of like explain a little bit about healing, I think people think uh, healing is, oh, you know, I've, I've gone through this, I've gone through therapy, I've done counseling and stuff like that. I'm healed. That's it. <laughs> I hate to break it to you. <laughs> That's not it. It's healing. It is a journey. It is a, uh, I would say it is an ongoing journey because you're going to have moments in life where certain people come in and they're going to test you and they're going to trigger you. And those are going to be those moments where you can decide, hey, I'm going to go back to who I used to be. <laughs> I'm going to react how I used to react. I'm going to allow them to make me feel how I used to feel about stuff like this. Or you can say, you know what? I'm not there no more. I'm not even there anymore. You know, I'm in a totally different mind space from that. Yeah, Tony Lawson a few episodes ago said that you're either sailing into a storm, sailing out of a storm, or you're between storms. And it just cycles through life like that. And that really hit home for me because that person that you described that um, you were and maybe you didn't like that person and then that person you are now, can you maybe tell us, if you don't mind sharing, who that person was that you disliked versus how you transmuted that person into somebody you now love or an aspect maybe of who you were that you disliked? I would say uh, an aspect of that was I did not really take accountability for the role that I would play in certain things, right? And to kind of elaborate on that is a person will treat you how you allow them to treat you. If you teach people how to treat you, you know, when you're having interactions with them, you teach them how to respect you. So if you're in a situation where you consist, where you're consistently putting yourself second, you know, you're putting them first, you're putting them first, you're putting them first. That's teaching them that I come in second place. So whatever it is that I feel or I need or I require is not as important. That's one of those things. And when I, when I have this. I have this saying, and it kind of came into play on uh, one of the jobs I was working. Um, we were dealing with a situation where we had to, like, uh, we had to brief some important people. And, you know, tempers were flaring and stuff like that. And it was my turn to go up and talk. And, you know, my uh, assistant manager leans over to me and she goes, you know, are you comfortable? Are you comfortable talking to these people <laughs> today? And I'm like, I looked at her and I said, I'm not going to step into their storm. I'm going to pull them into my peace and went in there. And when I was done, you know, it, it started off rough. I will not lie to you. Those waters were very choppy. And I was just like, oh, OK, tough crowd. <laughs> but by the time we were done, you know, they were all, oh, hey, would you, you need some water. You need some ice chips. Would you like some popcorn? Was, we were friends at the end, you know, um, and I feel like with situations like that, you have to navigate it because it's like if you're on a hundred and I get on a hundred too, we both are angry. There's nothing that's going to be resolved in a situation because we're both angry. So one of us is going to have to, and this is not to diminish um, your feelings or anything, but one of us is going to have to take the type of approach where I'm going to approach this differently to try to calm the situation and put it into a better space. Man, I really connected with what you just said. You know, you teach people how to treat you and thinking about this a lot over the years of just relationships. You know, a few years ago, I did come to that conclusion where I was like, the reason this cycle plays out is because of my behavior towards my significant other. And I am shaping them into the person that consciously and unconsciously I need them to be and I found out that at one point I felt like I needed to be needed so by putting them or allowing them to always be in this like kind of victim state of mind and person then I could be the the person who like helped save them in some way shape or form even though I hated it you know and I and I resented them for that you know I used to think uh, before that I could change people, you know, and I do not 
people, other people may not admit to it, but I don't feel like I'm alone in that way of thinking, you know, thinking that you can change people. You can change someone. Oh, I can shape you, mold you and crap you into becoming who I like you to be. Um, you can't. <laughs> that is the quickest way to set yourself up for failure, thinking you can change somebody else. You cannot change other people. The only person that you are responsible for and that you can change is yourself. And maybe as you start to change or another person starts to see those changes in you, that might encourage them to make some changes within their self. I look at trying to change someone else as a need to have control. And I told this to somebody um, one day jokingly, but then when I thought about it, I was like, oh, that was really, really good because they were saying it was it was a guy talking about a girl that he wanted to date and oh he has to be in control this this and this. I told him I said let me tell you something man. I said anyone who tries to control someone else that means they have absolutely no control over themselves. And because you can't control yourself, you're going to seek control on the outside because you can't control what's going on on the inside. You haven't learned how to handle that yet. So when you learn how to navigate those waters, then you no longer try to control anybody. You let people be who they are. People will show you who they are, how they are, and what they are if you're paying attention to them. So eyes wide open on something like that. I agree. Totally. So let's go into your book then a little bit because I'll sit this right here is a reflection of what? those This conversation that we're having and you're pouring it into a book to help navigate some of the trials and tribulations that you went through. And, and tell us about the title too because I love that just like – clashes in my brain a little bit. I'll sit this right here. I'm glad you asked about the title. So I I went back and forth. I had quite a few different titles. One of the main titles that I had for this book before I decided on I'll sit this right here was uh, My Soul Cried Out and started doing some research, you know, Again, self-published author, so this was a great learning process for me. Um, started doing some research on different books like uh, by that title, and I was like, mm, kind of already taken. So I was like, I want to do something that is me and reflects me. So I'll sit this right here is basically saying, you know what? I used to carry this stuff around with me. I used to have this stuff inside of me. I used to let it weigh me down. I really used to let it mess with my mind and I've done my work. I've done and I'm doing therapy. I'm journaling. I'm taking the steps that I need to take to put myself in a better place. You know what? <laughs> I'm going to sit this down. I'll sit this right here. And that's kind of how I came up with that title. Like it's a, um, I guess you would say it's cathartic in a way. It really was a release for me to just be like, you know, this isn't because everybody was like, you know, is this uh, is this the story of your life? I'm like, no, this is a sliver of a great big vegan cake. You know, <laughs> I was like, this is a sliver of things that have happened. And this inspired me to be transparent because I feel like a lot of times you get the highlight reel of relationships and loves. love. It's so romanticized to make it seem like, oh, it's all sunshine and roses and butterflies and candy all the time. It's not. Um, nobody ever really wants to talk about how they got their heart broke. Nobody ever really wants to talk about how they dealt with it, how they over, how they overcame it, how they were able to move on. Um, and I think, well, no, I'm not going to say that. I really feel heartbreak is the most relatable thing out there because heartbreak does not always mean relationship. It can mean friendship. It can mean um, family. It can mean separation from a job that you love so much. You know, there are uh, uh, variable things that are heartbreaking. Um, and this is just so many different elements of life that I, I, I put into here. You know, I, I talked about the relationship. I talked about um, the things I went through in a relationship, discovering certain things, doing my own work, um, taking accountability and, you know, just things that that relationship kind of brought up from childhood that and just kind of like I said earlier, you know, sometimes you are triggered by certain things and things will pull you back. and You have to decide how you want to navigate those waters. Um, yeah, this was this was it was a really, really great relief for me. And I feel like um, 
it's not an extremely long book. And the reason I did it that way, it was very intentional because I know today a lot of people reading is not, I would say, as prevalent as it used to be. You know, people are on the go all the time, you know, although they have their phones in their hand most of the time, people are on the go all the time. So actually reading a, a paper book, um, you know, something that they can hold in hand that's tangible. A lot of folks aren't doing that anymore. They're more so on the digital element of things. And even then, they're so consumed with day to day life, work life and stuff like that. So they might not have a time, a lot of time for uh, an extremely long read. So I wanted this book to be short and impactful. And I feel like I achieved those two things um, in creating it the way that I created it. And a lot of the feedback that I've gotten from people via social media and book reviews and stuff or whatever, you know, like, oh, I was able to relate relate to this. Oh, I was in this relationship before. And then there were those people that were telling me um, that they hated me, but in a good way. And <laughs> I say that because they were saying it in a sense of like, this is bringing up trauma for me that I thought I had addressed. This is making me realize that I did not address those things. And it's causing me to have to look at myself and to look at those things and evaluate those things and, and see how I can move forward. Um, I've had some people tell me, you know, I, I, some, of my, some of my friends have read the book or whatever. And the thing about it is it was a great learning experience for a lot of my family that read the book and a lot of my friends because I've, I've always been a fiercely private person. This is probably the most public I have ever been about anything. So I tell people reading this book, <laughs> you're going to get some in, insight to me where I normally don't get that. But I felt like it was such a need to be transparent now because everything is so I don't want to say. It's fake, but I don't I don't feel like people are being their true, authentic, relatable selves. And I feel like there's a lot more that ties us together than that separates us. You know, we're a lot alike in more ways than we think. And I feel like love, heartbreak are two of those relatable things, no matter um, no matter who you are, um, age, race, sexuality, anything like that. You know, everybody has a love story at some point in time. Everybody has a heartbreak story from some point in time. Most people don't share the heartbreak. They only want to talk about love. But, you know, the heartbreak is what shape us. Um, the iconic singer Janet Jackson says in one of her songs, broken hearts heal stronger. And that's true. You know, I love the title. I'll sit this right here. And I think that you know, having you write all that into one book, as you said, is probably yeah, very, very cathartic. And obviously, as you pointed out, brings out some of those unidentified emotions in others, you know, unresolved issues or wounds that people haven't really delved into. Do you think that pouring all that into those pages now has truly released a lot of that stuff for you? Or do you think you'll have to go back and read your own book to maybe remember some of those things that you might still be hanging on to? I think for me, it has released a lot of those things. And I'll be completely honest with you. When I first wrote the book, um, when I first started writing it, it was very hard for me to go back and read this stuff because I was reading it and I was like, who were you? <laughs> Get yourself together. <laughs> you know, things like that. And it it used to trigger my emotions so heavy to I could only read like a few pages of the first chapter. And I'm like, OK, you know what? That's enough of that. <laughs> I'm in a different place. I'm in a different space now. Um, and then once I really started to write more and, and go through the editing process of put this in, take this out, put this in, take this out, put this in, take this out. Um, I started to be like, you know what? I think this is really, really shaping beautifully, you know? Um, so you've pushed through a lot of stuff then it sounds like, yeah, I would definitely say so. And something that's really helped me is I feel like, um, the mental health element of things plays a huge factor in any part of life, you know, like a lot mental health is something that goes severely unnurtured in my opinion. You know, a lot of people, you know, when they, when you're saying, oh, I'm going to go and see a therapist or something like that, people are, oh, you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. No. And that's not always the case. Sometimes it's, I'm going to go and see a therapist because the way that I'm approaching things and the way that I'm handling things, I feel like there's a better way of doing it. I just don't know how. I don't have the necessary tools to um, 
function to the best of my ability. Um, I don't have the necessary tools. I feel like it's time to become the best version of myself, you know? And for me, therapy, like when I speak with my therapist and some of the questions that are asked now versus when they were asked when I started doing the journey in therapy, I'm like, look at how far you come. You go, boy. Um, <laughs> so I, I encourage it. And I can honestly say this book, right? Writing this book, sharing it with my friends, sharing it with my family, sharing it with um, people I don't know because, you know, the people that have bought the book have been folks all over the world, the UK, Australia and stuff like that. I was looking at the different areas where the book was selling. I was just like, wow, okay, I'm so grateful for this. But those people who reach out to me via social media, you know, they would say sometimes I'm starting my therapy journey. Mm hmm. And even some of my friends and stuff was like, you know, what? I think I'm going to go to therapy, too. And I recommend it to my friends. And the reason I recommend it to them is because when I I can if we're friends, I can give you advice. I can offer you advice. I can offer you insight on things, whatever. But if you are not yet ready to change or you don't necessarily have the tools to change, I can't really give you those tools. So I suggest therapy <laughs> because I feel like at that point, as a friend, I've done all of what I can do to try to help you get to the next step. And if I feel like I can't do anything else, I'm going to suggest, you know, maybe you maybe you should know you should get a therapist or do some counseling, you know, just to get a different perspective on things or whatever. And I try to lightly offer it to people because or. I should say lightly suggested to people because when you go in forceful with folks, people are like, mm -mm, I'm rejecting that. No, mm -mm, I don't want to do that. Like, I think if, 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 if people think how I used to think um, about things, it's very much so you're not about to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. So you have to know how to plant a seed. That's what it is. You have to know how to plant a seed, plant a seed in someone's mind um, about it. That way, when it's time for them to really like delve into it, that seed, you know, things start to grow from it, you know, and they'll think, oh, well, this was my idea. All along, <laughs> their friend or whomever planted that seed a while back for it to, you know, take growth and things to start happening in their life. It's so true. And my therapist that I got when I was 15 was a master at that. I mean, she planted so many seeds that when I was 18, 19, I realized that they were blossoming and I was starting to succeed at things that I always struggled in. And I was like, this is all her, man. She was just so good at just planting these seeds. And then, you know, with obviously a lot of work on my part too, I had to water those seeds and they started to grow. And man, it just it shifted my life and perspective in a way that I'll forever be grateful for her for. So with life now and what's taking you around the world, what kind of cool places have you been to that you will think you'll go back to? <laughs> um, I've been traveling since uh, 21. I'll give you like a couple of my favorite places. So I recently went to Bali. Bali for me was a... I want to say a spiritual awakening in a way, because learning about their their way of life and the way that they view things like there has to be some bad in order for the good to exist. You know, it's a, the whole yin and yang concept or whatever gave me a greater appreciation of things. It's very beautiful. It's very green. It was very vegan friendly for me. Um, so Bali was definitely a beautiful place. Um, another one of my favorite places, Cape Town, South Africa. Definitely because I conquered one of my fears there. Um, I had a severe fear of heights. I was like, anything, you know, that's too far off the ground, not getting on that, not doing that. And there's a, a mountain there called Lion's Head. And I hiked the mountain and got to take a very beautiful picture at sunset, sitting, sitting with my foot wedged between the rocks, sitting on the edge of a mountain. Maybe I had lost my mind or, you know, it was the air up there that had me in some euphoric state where I was like, you know what, I'm going to sit right here and get my pictures taken because this is beautiful. It really was beautiful. The people were beautiful. The culture, they were very, very friendly. Um, 
that's one of my that that's definitely one of my favorite trips. I definitely will go back there again. Um, and then uh, Mykonos, Greece. I, I loved it there. I loved it. Uh, the waters were beautiful. The food, the culture, gelato. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I've, I've I've been quite a few places. Those play those three places are probably my uh, top three places that I would probably definitely revisit. And now, as I'm getting, I don't want to say older, but maybe more experience with life. I'm thinking I can look back and like, you know what, when it hits the 10 year mark that I went to this place, I'll go and revisit it and see where it is and where I am at that particular time in life, you know? Do you think you'll, do you think you'll settle back in the States at some point or do you think you'll find the place that you want to settle outside of America? That is so hard to decide because I love my family very, very dearly. And all of my family is in the U.S. They are. Um, I love to go and visit them and spend quality time with them or whatever. I do sometimes feel that me being exposed to all these different places and being away for so long, working in these uh, austere environments, that going back to live to the U.S. might not be the first option for me. Like I might live somewhere else. I might go somewhere tropical. I may go to Canada. Um, who knows? I'm really on the fence about that. I mean, don't tell my family. They'll probably listen to this and figure out, but <laughs> I haven't told them. But yeah, I'm really on the fence about that because it's like, do I go back to the U.S. because that is home or that's been home the majority of my life? Or do I continue to go out and immerse myself in different cultures and have different life experiences and stuff like that? Um, I want to be able to tell uh, my kids, if I have kids, grandkids, if I have them, or just my nieces and nephews, my little cousins, when I'm when I'm in my later seasons in life, I want to be able to tell them about how I visited these different places, how I learned about this, how I've uh, prayed inside of these uh, Buddhist temples and stuff like that. You know, I want to be able to share those experiences with them versus how I turned up in the club on Friday nights. You know, <laughs> so offer them a different perspective to life. I can relate. I have a niece and nephew who I'm really trying to get down here to Mexico. We've done one trip to Mexico together, and I think uh, there'll be multiple more. But just to, yeah, show them the different sides of life. And, you know, if they don't want it, that's fine. But at least they now have had a taste of it and can make the decision for themselves. Right. So, you know, with what I mean, just to the audience, because you're in Kuwait, which the audience doesn't probably know that much about Kuwait. What's daily life like for you? Obviously, you have to work a lot. But I mean, is there a social scene, dating scene? Like, what's it like? There is a social scene. Um, there's probably a dating scene if you want it, but daily life for me consists of I'm I'm at work most of the time. And on my day off, because I deal with people so often at work, this is gonna sound so off the wall to folks, but on my off day, I'm like, you know, I don't really don't want to see people right now. <laughs> I kind of just want to relax. You know, watch some TV, read, just kind of like chill, decompress from the work week. Um, Kuwait is really hot. It's really summertime most of the year. You do get those one or two months uh, throughout the year where it gets colder, not really cold, cold, but like colder than it's hot. And, you know, socially there, of course, there's there's no drinking in Kuwait. So socially you have your juice bars, coffee, there's uh, shisha. There's a shisha shop everywhere you look, or hookah, as some people call it. Uh, if you are into smoking that, I'm not because it messes with it messes with my sinuses, so it's a no go for me. Um, but they do have things to offer if you're looking for things to do. Me, I am. I don't want to say I'm antisocial because I'm not. I'm selectively social, and I've become uh, more and more that way as I've gotten older. I'm I'm really about, you know, kind of like protecting my peace, being careful about who I expose myself to. Um, and I say that it probably sounds crazy because I have this book out <laughs> and, and because I have this book out, my social media is public now. So people are probably like, oh, you know, we have access to you. You do. <laughs> um, but I, I still like to I feel like it is very, very important to kind of like cultivate your me time, your alone time. I tell people this. If you're alone and you're not in good company, there's an issue. It's true. 
I agree. So, yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's one thing I've noticed throughout this conversation and the fact that you just stated, you know, a lot of you is out there in the public domain now, you know, through social media and in this book. And you talk, you know, a lot about the subject matter of the book. But one thing that's kind of been nagging at my mind is like a specific example within the book that you can maybe tease us with, you know, to get a listener to go purchase it and like, um, I know the, t- the general topics of love, you know, relationships, life, the highs and lows is the underlying theme of it. But like, is there one specific incident or something that you can just plant that seed in a listener's mind to maybe get them to go open it up and learn more about it? Um, I'll share a book quote that I, I, I had, a, a so I had some quotes that I, I pulled from the book, um, that I, I thought were very, very interesting to me. And I thought they were very, very catchy for the people. Um, maybe, maybe I'll share two. So one of them is home is where the peace resides, the love lives and the truth never hides. And I put that in my particular chapter of the book. Um, when I'm talking about going home and, and, and being with my family after, you know, things have occurred as far as like uh, the relationship coming to an end and stuff, whatever. And it was very important for me to mention that line, because when you go home to where you've grown up, um, where you've grown up at, you should be able to find peace or some some sort of peace in that element, because not everybody's upbringing is peaceful through and through. I'm not saying that, but you should have something in that upbringing if it's a <laughs> an old doll, an old place you used to visit or something like that, that brings you peace. Um, the love lives portion of that quote is from the love of family, the love of friends, the love of where you're from, the love of that culture. And the truth never hides portion of it is, you know, you can get out into the world and as some people say, thank you're too big for your britches and your family will pull you right back, <laughs> pull you right back in <laughs> and remind you of who you are. And sometimes you need that, you know, it, it keeps you from getting uh, the big head about things, you know, and that was very important to me to write about that particular element um, to share some of that element in the book. Um, another one that I really, really liked was if you, um, if you try to stay lost in the lie long enough, the truth will catch up to you someday. And that one's important. And here's why. So if you try to stay lost in the lie long enough, the truth will catch up to you someday. Sometimes you have to ask yourself when you're in certain situations, whether it's a a relationship, dating, a family situation, friendship or whatever. What's the lie that you're telling yourself? If, if things really aren't what they're supposed to be, what's the lie that you're telling yourself to stay where you are? Because there has to be some type of lie in there that you're telling yourself to comfort you <laughs> to stay in that particular stormy weather. So if you stay in that lie long enough, the truth will catch up to you. And, you know, my mother used to always tell us when we were kids you know, I'm sure many people have said it, but she's like always will tell us, you know, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. I was like, oh, goodness gracious. You know, kind of got tired of hearing it. But later on in life, I was like, you know what? The truth will set you free. <laughs> it was a, a full circle moment. Um, but, you know, what? what's the lie? What's the lie you're telling yourself? So if you are in a a bad relationship if you're in an abusive relationship that could be physical abuse that could be emotional abuse mental abuse anything if you're in a relationship like that where you're sitting at a table where love is not being served (laughs) and it's very very cold you have to ask yourself what is the lie that i'm telling myself to keep me here because i'm not being 100 percent truthful with myself because if i was i would understand that i deserve more than what's being given to me. And that would make me remove myself from this situation and go out and get my more, go out and get my happy, go out and find my peace, go out and be fulfilled. Um, And once that truth catches up to you, you know, it's like, okay, I'm here. I'm in your face. What are you going to do? That one hit for me, man. I like that a lot. I mean, what's the lie I've been telling myself about the eight years I've been spending online trying to make money? 
and having the same cycle play out. You know, what lie have I been telling myself about my ability to be an online entrepreneur that is, is fixable if I address it, you know, hundred percent. Brian, this has been an amazing conversation. Before I let you go, I love asking all my guests, if you could deliver one sound word of advice to an audience member to help them take that first trip, to leave that unhealthy relationship, to do whatever it is that they desire in their life, what would you say to them? I would tell them, if you have been living a life where you have had no peace, then that type of life is not worth living. You definitely, definitely, definitely need to find your peace in this lifetime. Find your peace, find your happy, find your healing and your self-worth. That is very, very, very important. Very important. Beautifully said, Brian. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Awesome, Brian. Thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure to get to chat with you, learn about your story, your life, how you get to travel the world, the type of work that you do, and just how you're so willing to do the work that's necessary to grow as a human being. Bring yourself out of that dark place and into the light and continue to develop that strength and intuition that will carry you through life in so many powerful ways. Thank you again. And if you're a first-time listener, please hit that subscribe button. Sharing this with a friend is by far the best way and the cheapest way you can help me, Misfits and Rejects, grow my audience. But if you'd like to take that next step and financially support Misfits and Rejects, you can head on over to patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects. Give a monthly donation, $1, $5, whatever it may be. It's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. Or you can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick up a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt. That helps as well. Thank you so much for your time and listening. I think you all are so very beautiful and I'll see you in next week's episode. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself. If you're unhappy with where you're at in life, I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out and spread your wings and try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.